Amen. Praise the Lord, the God of every grace. All right, I'm not going anywhere. I just got to stoop down here for just a minute. All right, it's good to see you. Well, a lot has happened uh, in the last few hours. Matter of fact, a lot around the world has happened in the last 24 to 48 hours. And let me share something with you. It's not over. Um, I think what you've seen is just the beginning uh, of some things that are coming. Um, so, um, I never would have thought that this final message in this series on the emerging end times would have had such an illustration to, to occur in the world as we consider what we're going to consider today. Matter of fact, to kind of close all of this series out, the title of this one today is God, the Word, and the End of Ourselves. And we're going to look at all of that. We're going to look at each, we're going to look at each facet of that. And if I, if I could do something for you today, is to try to, 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 in some way, allow the Word of God to help keep your focus where it needs to be. I know it's easy. I know it's easy for our focus and our attention to kind of get misdirected. And matter of fact, culture is good at that. If culture can get us misdirected and if they can get us, if culture can get us operating in a place that is, that's without God in it, then that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. So as we, as we look at the world around us today, and we look, at, we look at even ourselves here in the West, as we gather together here this morning, I want to just kind of share something with you. What we desperately need today, I believe more than anything else, is a faith rather than a religion, and we need a church rather than an institution. We need a faith rather than religion, and we need a church rather than just an institution. And I honestly believe it's time for God's people to realize that. We don't need another religion. What we need is faith in the living God. What we don't need today is another institution that is facilitated by a series of do's and don'ts. What we need is a living church today that is functioning the way God desires for the church to function. And so as we find ourselves today in the midst of where we are, in the difficulty of where we are, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and that is where we're going to begin. Matthew chapter 4. We'll start in verse number one. Satan desires more than anything else today for us to become so distracted by the world and culture that we begin to doubt our very mission that we've been called to do. And it's easily done. Distraction, it can, it can, it can quickly move us there. And by the time we realize it so often, we're way down the road of that distraction. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1, 
I don't know if you understand the gravity of what you see here. Jesus has been 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He comes out of there, and guess who's waiting on him? Satan is waiting on him. And as he tempts Jesus here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, I want you to notice what it says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... He then became hungry, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, yeah, I hear people say this all the time. You don't understand, but he's God. Yeah, but you don't also don't understand or you have forgotten this. He's also human. And he's just as much man as he is God. So 40 days of fasting, as he comes out, he's thirsty, he's hungry, probably tired, okay? Mentally, probably Exhausted, at least physically exhausted. And so here comes Satan. And notice the first thing that he does in verse 3. So the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, then command that these stones become bread. What better place to start than right there with a physical hunger? If you're who you claim that you are, if you are the Son of God, then command these stones to be made to bread. And let me say something to you. He knew who he was. He knew who he was. Verse 4, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, verse 5, devil comes back. Took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written. Listen, he can't even get it right this time. As he provides, as he quotes from the Old Testament, he can't even get it right on this occasion. Matter of fact, he got it wrong in Genesis chapter 3. Surely God didn't say this. Well, here it's kind of incorrect as well as he quotes from the Old Testament. But I want you to notice verse 7. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, <laughs> you shall not Put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, verse 10, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil left him and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. You know, as the clouds continue to build, and we watch them as they build around us today, the dark clouds at culture is beginning, as they're beginning to form, and as they're beginning to build all around us, we can see from this passage alone the destructive power of lies. From false teaching, taking the Word of God, twisting the Word of God, Making the Word of God today say what we think that it ought to say according to our cultural bounds that we've put on there. And matter of fact, where we find ourselves today, a lot of the stuff that is making its way into the churches today, they are, they are cultural or social constructs. They're not even the Word of God. And my dear friend, for us today, we need a faith today. We don't need another religion. We need a faith in a living God. We don't need another institution today. We need a church today founded on the very principles of God, understanding what our mission is as a church.
The destructive power of lies leads people astray every day. Matter of fact, Satan will tell you just what you want to hear. To do what? To drag you away. For believers, let me tell you what it does. It's his, it's his desire to draw you away, to make you ineffective. In other words, to take your testimony, your motivation to serve the Lord, and redirect it in a direction that has no impact, has absolutely no influence, and absolutely makes you miserable in your life. So what do we do? Where do we go? So how do we handle all of this? So how do you deal with all of this? You know, I'm listening to all of this that's taking place in Israel over the last 24 to 48 hours. And watching all of this as, as it unravels. And, and I mean, there are comments being made from everywhere. And it, it is amazing to me today how divisive what has happened in Israel today has made the world. Well, let me tell you something. Israel has always been divisive. And matter of fact, listen to me. It will always be divisive. But you notice the entire world today is watching Israel and what is taking place in Israel. Why do you think that is? Because it affects the entire world. And let me tell you why. Because Jerusalem is the city of God. So for us today, where do we go? What do we do? How in the world do we deal with all of this? Well, I want you to take and turn with me to Job chapter 38. Here's your first point. The first point this morning in the message is this. It's God. But I have a question I want to ask you. So who is he to you today? So who is God to you today? When, when you think about God, who is he to, to, to you today? Well, Job chapter 38 is an interesting passage of Scripture. Job supposedly had all of his friends that have paraded themselves up and down in front of Job and trying to share with Job all of the reasons why if Job would just go ahead and confess his sin, everything would be all right. And Job trying to figure all of this out in his mind and all the confusion that is taking place. Finally, God comes on the scene in chapter 38, and guess what he does? Job, have you ever thought about this? Well, everybody that's sitting in this auditorium this morning, please listen to me. Have you ever thought about God? In light of all of this that's taking place, have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, God's got all of this under control? Job chapter 38, beginning in verse number 1. I want you to notice what it says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the world, went and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. In other words, Job says, all right, Job. Gird your loins up like a man because I'm going to ask you some questions and you instruct me. You know, it's amazing to me today. Everybody thinks they know just a little bit better than God does. You know what really is disturbing to me today is when I hear something of this magnitude. Well, God understands. God knows where I am. My dear friend, listen to me. God knows where you are, but it is not a license for you to live your life however you want to live it. We still have the Word of God. We still have the truth of the Word of God. 
And so as God is going to speak to Job, I want you to notice how it continues to unfold. Because he asked him a simple question. All right, Job, look at verse 4. So where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, Job, where were you? Hadn't even been born yet. Please listen to me. Please. Please. Get your eyes off a culture and get them on God where they belong. And let me tell you why. God knows, listen, what happened in Israel over the last few hours did not catch God by surprise. He knows why. He's sovereign, that's why. He knows everything. So from God who exists and reveals himself, who came to Job out of the storm, so Job, or God, begins a, with a series of questions. Are you ready for this? Seventy questions God is going to ask Job. Chapter 38, chapter 39, all of these questions. And then you come to chapter 40. Job chapter 40, and I want you to notice, after going all through these questions, we come to chapter 40 in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Let me say something to you this morning. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, there's only one that matters, and that's God himself. He has the answers. He has the answers. He knows who we are. He knows our frame. He knows everything about us from the top of our head to the sole of our feet. Matter of fact, he's the one who spoke. He is the one who brought everything into existence. He is the Elohim. That's who he is, God the creator. So if he created all of it, don't you think he also controls all of it? So today, somebody asked me this morning, said, Brother Robert, are you worried about where things are? Not in the least bit. Let me tell you why. Because all it's doing is moving us quicker. To his return. As one theologian wrote concerning Job, I thought this was so fitting. This is not to humiliate or intimidate Job, but to open his eyes to the God that makes the Milky Way look like a stream in an Arabian wadi. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's who God is. God knows what he's doing. You ready for this one? I love this part. hate to tell you this, but Satan ain't going to win. Pardon the English. I know that's out of kilter. But he's not going to win. So what do we mean 
Well, it's beneficial for us to be reminded sometimes of who God truly is. It all speaks to his sovereignty, his power, his majesty, and his glory for who he is. Well, what about point two? What about the word? Let me see. This this is not just an ordinary book. It's not. This 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 is not an ordinary book. Matter of fact, this book right here contains the truth of the word. It's the truth of the word. of. It is the truth of God himself. It's what it is. If you want to know who God is, read the word of God. If you want to know what things are going to happen, read the word of God. If you want to know how we should act each day in our lives, read the word of God. If you want to know who Jesus is, read the word of God. If you want to know how we should live every day, guess what? The book of Proverbs gives us principles for everyday life. So it's the Word. It depends on how you look at the Word of God. Matter of fact, the Word of God is something that we ought to treasure. The Word of, of God is something that we ought to, to, to digest every single day in our lives. The Word of God is, should be important to the child of God. That we know it is inside and out, front and backwards. If you want to know who God is, read the Word of God. If you want to know what's going on in the world, read the Word of God. If you want to know what's coming, read the Word of God. Why? Because it all contains it all. That's why. Because it is the Word of God. So does the Bible say anything about itself? You know, and let me say this to you this morning. It is impossible to read the Word of God and miss the command to be people on mission. It's impossible. It is impossible to read the Word of God and miss... The command to be people on mission. It's what we should be doing. Sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Uh, but here's what people say, but, yeah, preacher, but you don't understand. We live in a different time. We live in a different world today. And so this book, so what? You know, the, the Bible, what's written in it is out of date. It's out of date. Simply written by a bunch of men. It's it's out of date. My dear friend, please listen to me this morning. Okay, it is not out of date. From Genesis to the book of the Revelation, it is not out of date. It's just as true today as it has always been. It's the word of God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Notice with me what... The scripture says about the word of God itself. Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 through verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 through verse 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight 
but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's nothing hidden with him. Nothing. Even our secret thoughts are visible to him. Nothing can hide from his presence. Nothing can, can escape who he is. Nothing can escape who God sees or is today. But the word of God, is it true? It is. Is it living? Yes. Quick and powerful? Yes. Sharper than any two-edged sword? Yes. Able to do exactly what God designed for it to do? Yes. Matter of fact, in Isaiah, the prophet said, God said to Isaiah, but my word will not return to me void, but accomplish what I intend for it to accomplish. Please listen to me. It's going to happen. It will happen just as God said that it would. So what about point number three, the end of ourselves? I want you to take and turn with me to Luke chapter number nine. Luke chapter number nine, the end of ourselves. This is the tough one because this is the one we struggle with more than anything else is the end of ourselves. So what do we mean by the end of ourselves? Let me tell you why this is a tough one, because it cuts against the flesh. It goes completely contrary. It just, it, it cuts against that flesh nature to the end of ourselves? Oh, no. Can't be. Can't be. Luke chapter 9. And I want you to notice with me what we find here. Verse 18 is where we will begin. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, here comes that ultimate question, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. But notice Jesus says in verse 21, but he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone for political reasons. Because of who they saw that he would be at, underneath the, the bondage of Rome and reestablishing the kingdom of Israel today, earthly. But he goes on to say something else in the next verse, verse 22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. That's what's coming. So he shared all of this with the disciples. And he made sure that they clearly understood what was coming and what was going to take place. Trying to allow them to to take the spiritual and the physical and begin to understand what's taking place. Because I want you to understand here at this point in time, here's what they see. Jesus as the Messiah to remove them out from underneath the bondage of Rome, reestablish Israel as an earthly kingdom. 
But it's much further, it's much deeper than that. Verse 23, and he was saying to them all, here's what he's saying to them. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I want you to notice the first one in the list. Thus, point number three, the end of ourselves. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, then he must deny himself. That's a strong, that's a strong statement, to deny yourself. What did he mean by that phrase, to deny yourself? We have to say no to ourselves. You know, sometimes that's tough to do. Not simply to pleasures or possessions, but to self. And then take up our cross and follow Christ daily. Here's what culture wants. Culture wants all of you. Culture wants your attention. Culture wants your activity. Culture wants everything about you. Culture's desire is to have you. Culture's desire is to enslave you. Culture is to get you to buy into the lies. Culture wants to get you to a place that you're no longer effective, that you become of of no influence any longer in your walk as a child of God. That's where culture wants to take you. But here's what Jesus said. If you're going to follow me, then the very first thing you've got to do out of the starting gate is to deny yourself. Does that mean you can't have some fun and have possessions? That is not what Jesus is saying. But my dear friend, listen to me. When those begin to take place at this level up here in your relationship between you and God, then it's out of whack. So my question to you today is, does he have first place in your life? Does Jesus have first place in your life? Does God, do the things of God have first place in your life? Everything in my life, all the things that I do, the decisions that I make, it's the first one that we bring it to. Do we pray and ask God's will in it before we, we, we accomplish it or go through with it? Do we, do we seek God's direction in our lives before we just make these decisions and choices? And I know some are looking at me today, really? Really, preacher? You think, you, you, you think that's what's necessary? Well, let me ask you a question. If God created it all, God's sovereign, God's in control of it all, don't you think his desire for us would be, as Jesus said here, to deny ourselves and seek his will first in our lives? That's his desire for us. And he says, and take up your cross daily. This means to be identified with him in suffering and surrender. And on top of that is a living sacrifice. It's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead one, but a living one. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. That's, that's who we should be. I'm going to tell you something. What, what we see, it's not easy. 
And oh, by the way, the follow me doesn't come until after denying yourself, taking up your cross daily. And then number three, he says to follow me. When you're ready to deny yourself, when you're ready to take up your cross daily and follow me, then the following comes next. You see, those who give up their lives for Jesus' sake will save their lives forever. It will be of little comfort to save one's life for a short time, only to lose it forever. Look at verse 24. Jesus said, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Let me ask you a simple question. So what have you gained? If you have everything, you gain everything culture wants you to have. You find yourselves in the middle of everything that culture desires for you. And let's say at the end of the day, you gain all of this wealth and possession and all of this stuff. And you're involved in all of these things. And at the end of the day, you lose your own soul. What have you gained? Nothing. Zero. You've gained absolutely nothing. Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Let me ask you a question. Are you ashamed of him today? Are you ashamed to be associated with him? Are you ashamed to identify yourself with him? Are you ashamed to be called a Christian? Acts chapter 13 says, and they were called Christians first in Antioch. They were people of the way. My question today, are we people of the way? We don't need another religion. We need a faith. We don't need another institution. We need a church. A church that's what? You see, those who follow Christ are called to a life of costly discipleship. Is it costly? Sure it is. The loss of your soul, experiencing God's judgment, is far too great a price to pay for, for, for possessing the whole world. It's too much. So let me kind of wrap it up this way for you this morning. Just kind of bring it all together. So what will your choice be today? What's your choice today? Follow Christ or follow yourself? To take up your cross daily and follow him or to follow yourself? God looked at Job and said, okay, Job, where were you? Matter of fact, when you get some time, go read Job 38, 39, up to the first couple of verses of 40. 70 questions. All right, Job. So where were you when all of this? Can you answer all of these questions, Job? No, you can't. But God can. So here's what we need to do. 
We need to focus on Christ. And let him create a daily relationship between us and him. We need to be a part of that. Find out what he wants us to do every day in here. Please listen to me. Just do it. Just do it. And I'll just make this statement to you as well. Just from my heart to you this morning. You're not going to win any popularity contests, fame, fortune, or success. As far as the world is concerned. But our desire ought to be to please who? The one who saved us. God is alive. His word is true. Deny yourself and follow Christ. That's the message today. Would you bow your head?